Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that's happy to take on any issue in the property world, no matter how big. And today we're looking at one of the biggest of them all and asking what the real estate industry can take away from the COP26 climate conference in Glasgow. There's lots of people with very good intentions, but kind of still in a way casting around saying, how do I do this? How do I make the changes? And so what I think the industry is looking for and what we'd like to see is a bit more of a clear pathway and consistent ways of of measuring things. There are so many opportunities. This is a massive moment for the rural sector. It's not just about planting trees. It's about restoring peat. It's about looking at um, alternative ways of food production that speak to climate change. People, at least the people in Glasgow and everyone that made the, the effort to come to Glasgow, they really, really want change. And it was inspirational and it gives me a lot of optimism about the future. I'm Guy Ruddle and I'm joined by three people, all of whom were at COP26 and are, uh, how do I say it, from the younger generation of Savills. And we wanted to get the younger generation because it's all about them with climate change and things like that. So uh, in the studio with me is Emily Williams, who's actually been on the podcast before. Hello, Emily. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Guy. I should tell everyone who you are. You're an associate director in the residential research team and you're the lead researcher on, on the real estate and the Carbon Challenge Report, uh, yeah. which you produced for COP26, right? Yes, we sort of wanted to produce a, a document that looked um, at how uh, real estate is responding to the challenge and, and the, the issue of tackling carbon emissions. Excellent. So that's Emily. On the line from Scotland, we have two people. Molly Biddell is a is a policy analyst specialising in natural capital. She spends her time looking at things like rural policy, farming systems and how the public and private sectors can work together to encourage investment in natural capital. Hello, Molly. Welcome to Real Estate Insights. Morning, Guy. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be with you. And Cameron Lloyd is a graduate energy consultant at Savills. He has an MA in Business Management and International Relations and an MSc in environmental entrepreneurship, uh, and he's part of Savile's energy consulting team. I think that's more degrees than the rest of us put together, Cameron. <laughs> it's been a long time <laughs> in, the, in the making. Well, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So let's get going. As I say, you were all there. I'm going to, uh, Emily Pats, I could ask you first, uh, how did you find it? Um, it was fascinating. Um, I think so. We we were up in Glasgow to launch our report, to hold um, several Savills events, um, and also just to kind of be there to see what discussions were going on. You just saw so many different people from from many many different backgrounds, and it really drove home how important an issue this is, and how what we do here is. Um, you know, having impacts not only on our own industry and what what, what we're doing, but also knock on impacts on people around the world. How did you find it, Molly? Yeah, thanks, Guy. It was, um, do you know what, I would echo what Emily says. This year, the big change that I noticed and the thing that I thought was the most exciting was the fact that you were sort of, if you weren't there as a business or a company, then you'd made a bit of a mistake. So there really was so many different people and um, different stakeholders that I didn't expect to see. Cameron, uh, did you feel that there was much focus on real estate? I think from the the, the whole of COP26, there was an awareness of it. The three events that Savills did hold within the CAD works were, were really interesting. I think they did get a lot of uh, the spotlight on social media and things like that as well. I think, encouragingly, um, this was the first COP for about six 
or seven years where they'd had a specific day devoted to the built environment. So we're kind of starting to move towards recognising how important emissions from this sector are. So let's talk a bit about that change and the change that needs to happen. Um, I, w- I want to ask you, I mean, and you may all come up with a similar answer to this, but what, what uh, Emily, starting with you, perhaps, what was your biggest sort of policy-wise or issue-wise, what was your biggest takeaway, do you think? Um, so I think the thing that, that came up recurringly both when we were doing the research and when we were talking to people in Glasgow is um, we have lots of big targets, but we don't necessarily have clear paths for getting there. And we have lots of sort of... Um, it's not always clear in terms of sort of being able to have the data to measure whether, you know, investment decisions, whether, you know, changes in policy are really having the impact that we want them to have. There's lots of people with, with you know, very good intentions, but kind of still in a way casting around saying, how do I do this? How do I make the changes? And so what what I think the industry is looking for and what, what we'd like to see as such is a bit more of a clear pathway and consistent ways of, of, of measuring things. So, yeah, so that 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 measurement thing mm. is the start, right? Because yeah. you, can't, you, can't, you can't have a target unless you can measure it, you know. Absolutely. We, we all have to live with KPIs in yes. our lives. Uh, how do you think, then, we get to that point? Have... have have you, I mean, it's easy to articulate the problem, but mm-hmm. have you, not you individually, yeah. but Savills or whatever, have you got solutions to that? So I think what, we're, what we would say, particularly if you're if focusing on, on the built environment and thinking about particularly energy efficiency of buildings, we currently are using multiple different systems. Um, in the residential sector, we rely on a lot on EPCs. EPCs aren't really measuring what we want them to measure. Whereas in the commercial sector, there are there are different measures. Um, there are different international measures. Um, so what we'd like to see is, I think, one standard way of measuring how effectively is a building using energy, um, and how and and standard suggestions for how that can be improved. Because then you have, particularly when we're thinking about sort of the institutions and and people sort of managing large portfolios, they can make sensible decisions across. A portfolio that might span, you know, multiple countries as well as multiple sectors. Yeah, and at the moment you can't do that really. Yeah, uh, um, Molly, I'm conscious that that your area, natural capital, is perhaps more in the yeah, more in the focus than than the wider real estate real estate thing. Did you did, did you feel that? Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I was I was going to um, butt into Emily if I wasn't careful there because I think. With my um, rural sector hat on, um, we are obviously we fall from a Savills perspective, we fall under real estate because we're a type of land and we've got lots of property that is on that land. Um, But we're in a little bit of a unique position within the climate debate here because we're not only the problem in that agriculture um, is 10% of the UK's uh, national carbon emissions, but we've also got the solution because we've got the land that can sequester, i.e., draw down and suck in the carbon by planting trees, restoring peatlands, increasing, you know, doing better soil management. Um, So because of that, we're not just looking at our emissions, we're also looking at our sequestration potential. So I was thinking about um, within the context of measurement, we've got a whole load of KPIs that we need to measure. um, and, And we really need to get well, it's the same across the whole sector, but we need to get a grasp on what we're measuring. Um, we can, and increasingly more and more farmers and rural estate, um, well, rural land managers are actually doing carbon audits and they're looking at their carbon balance because some might be absorbing more carbon than they're actually releasing. Um, but it is, I mean, that is core to the rural sector at the moment. 
and pretty exciting. Is there a, a sense in which uh, people just don't know enough? You know, when, when I when I hear hear about your area, I think plant trees, and I'm I know I'm being simplistic and wrong about that, but it, that may be that that people just don't have enough understanding of of the opportunities. Mm, no, I think you're right there. Um, there are so many opportunities. This is a massive moment for the rural sector. It's terrifying, but there's a lot of opportunity here. It's not just about planting trees. Like I said, it's about restoring peat. It's about looking at um, alternative ways of food production that speak to climate change. So looking at like regenerative agriculture, energy crops, renewable energy. Um, ultimately, I suppose, rural land is, some, is, is the opportunity that we can use to provide a lot of the solutions, the problems that we're facing. But it is about taking a holistic approach to the rural sector I think and I think that sort of actually it's a holistic approach to the whole real estate sector because we are going to have to think much more intelligently about our land use because so as Molly was saying you've got things like um, uh, food production we've got in terms of we still have development needs so we will need to be building more homes more distribution centers where are the most sustainable locations for those to happen where you know we're reducing people's needs to travel um we also have, you know, the and I'm sure Cameron can can jump in here, real, you know, energy needs in terms of thinking about how we switch our grid to be powered by renewable energy. That's got a huge land take as well. Um, and we need to be able to think about all of those things together so that we're making the best decision for an individual piece of land and we can bring it forward in the most sustainable way. And so it's, you know, we, we talk a lot about the need to be cross-sector and to, but it's, it's, never more important than when you're thinking about how to do things sustainably because it's also interconnected. Cameron, earlier you um, you talked about that people at, at in Glasgow saying our government's doing enough and, thing, and things like that. It, how much do you think uh, coming away from COP26 there's a sense that it that it's there's governments need to do more uh, or and how much is it the private sector needs to do more? I think... Given that COP26 was a major focus around, you know, uh, the politicians coming in, I think that that took the spotlight. However, I think that private businesses need to do a lot more. And I think people are beginning to wake up to that. But not only private businesses, individuals need to do more. So they are the ones that dictate essentially what businesses do because they're the ones that give them the money at the end of the day. So a lot of people are looking not only at governments and how they can influence private businesses but also looking at what they can do in terms of their own personal choices in life so that they're mm. essentially approaching these private businesses with a pincer movement yeah i was really um really interested this morning um ipsos mori do their sort of monthly survey of public attitudes and for the first time uh, climate change and the environment has been the number one concern of the British public. And that's never happened before. And I think that's probably a big knock-on effect of COP. It's fascinating because, as Cameron said, you know, ultimately, every private business is producing something for consumers. And, you know, again, in the resi sector, we sort of talk a lot about do people value things like energy efficiency of their home? And actually, as, as people become more and more aware of this, you start to think, well, maybe they do. And maybe they start to see, you know, the environmental social benefits of having a more efficient home as well as the the potential cost um, impact and then once you start to see that really taking impact that's where you start to see a green premium develop and that's when you start to see you know individual house builders go actually it is worth for me not just from an environmental sense but also from a business sense so yeah great but here's the question Uh, actually in this world Mm -hmm. in the real estate world across 
resi, commercial and everything, how much are companies, even how many companies, are really thinking like that now and how many are ticking boxes and doing a bit of greenwashing? Um, I know it's hard I for thought. Savills to, to, to respond to that, but, but, you know, it is an important question. I think it is very different by sector. Um, so I think in areas like um, commercial, where you have a lot of institutions invested in it, they um, are actually taking this very seriously because they have their own um, sustainability requirements. They have their own um, ESG reporting responsibilities. Um, in a, a sort of a sector like residential, when you have a lot of you know individual owners, um, it's you know it's a very different case and you know it's probably not driven in the same way um i will let molly talk about rural because she knows much more about it than i do thanks um emily i'd say in the rural sector guy essentially this is a we're seeing we're at a massive moment of change in the rural sector in terms of domestic policy and this is ha- this this change in rural policy is happening alongside a massive global shift towards understanding that we need to jump on board with the um, environmental crises and try and solve solutions through the way that we manage land so I think all rural land managers are taking this really very seriously um, and increasingly rural asset, well, rural property is being seen as something that a new class of investors are interested in because they understand that it is really the only property type that can absorb carbon. Um, so we're seeing some really interesting bubbles emerge around land values and things like that. Um, so I'd say the rural sector is taking it very seriously because of policy shifts and we just, sort of have to. Just add in the, the greenwashing thing, um, I think companies that are keen to greenwash are showing a real content for change. It's becoming more and more profitable and more and more, it makes more and more business sense to adopt these changes. So let's now just sort of get into the to the meat of some of the policy things that actually came out of, of COP26. Um, let's start with the Glasgow Leaders Declaration on Forest and Land Use, just to give you a sense of what that was about. It's about 100 countries, 85% of the, the world's forestry, agreed to halt or reverse forestry loss and land degradation by 2030. Molly, this is sort of your area. Um, uh, what did you make of that? Yeah, um, it's it's fantastic, Guy, to see. Um, from a UK perspective, obviously, we already have pretty stringent laws about our forestry, um, but it just puts more impetus on needing to do things like peatland restoration and ensure that we are protecting nature. Um, I think it will have a big impact on supply chains because, obviously, a lot of global supply chains rely on um, other parts of the world where deforestation is happening. And I think what it, what the positive we might see that comes out of it is a greater demand for UK based timber products which would be really really good because we import a lot of timber at the moment and really we need to boost our own um woodland based economy here yeah so that would be a silver lining yeah well that's that (laughs) we love a silver lining um uh, emily let's ask you about the finance alliance financial alliance for net zero so this is sort of 450 firms around the world 130 trillion dollars of yeah, assets under management capital under management aligned with the with the paris i don't know what aligned means really um i think it's aiming to be at operational net zero by 2050 um it's really important because actually the 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 change is going to come where you know where the money goes, and so um, you know we're, it means that people are not going to invest in buildings that are not meeting stringent efficiency standards, and that's again what's really going to drive change from developers because there's no point in producing a product if the money isn't 
isn't there for it. Yeah. Um, so another one, can I just shove another one in your direction? Global coal to clean power transition statement. So that's, you know, this was a big thing and yeah. it went you know, backwards and forwards and 40 countries phasing out coal, sort of some in the 2030s and some in the 2040s was... A bit disappointing or yeah i think i think you know lots of people um lots of the activists and the, and the negotiators at cop were, were quite disappointed with that for the real estate sector i think it is a timely reminder because i think there is a temptation to sort of go look we can just rely on the decarbonization of the grid and we don't have to worry about the energy performance of our buildings because if it's all coming from renewables it doesn't matter well this is just remind it is a really tough to get us off fossil fuels and so it we have to also be focusing on energy efficiency and reducing our energy use as well as having that switch over on the grid and cameron uh, was there anything of the sort of big policy things that came out of it that sort of that struck you particularly yeah, and particularly for the, the real estate industry, I think the reduction for, of methane is going to have huge implications. Uh, the reason being, if you look at the UK as an example, we heat our homes, 85% of them, with natural gas, which is predominantly methane. How are you going to heat a country like Scotland, like England, if the climates get even cooler, That which could happen? Um without that. So you're going to have to retrofit a lot of houses to make them more efficient. You're going to have to change the gas grid to potentially a hydrogen grid or get a lot of electric heating involved. That's a huge amount of investment, but also a huge opportunity. If you're involved with uh, creating electric boilers, it'd be a good time to be in business. But certainly um, it's going to have huge implications across the whole industry, if not um, the whole country as well. Now, uh, it's time for our new feature, Tell Me Something I Don't Know. Emily, let's come to you first of all. Uh, Can you tell me something I don't know? So, something that I think uh, may have flown under the radar a bit during COP. Um, During COP, the role of chair of the C40 Group, which is a collection of world-leading cities, um, passed to the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. And um, he's going to be focusing on helping cities around the world tackle um, emissions and improve their air quality using London's ultra-loan ultra low emission zone as an exemplar so it's an area where the uk is really being world leading excellent thank you very much emily so uh just as we were about to do tell me something i don't know we lost the line to both cameron and molly so um we called them on their mobile phones and asked them separately uh, for their tell me something i don't know this is what cameron had to say so between 2007 and 2017 the world renewable electricity source from solar power increased 4,300%, which is quite huge. But then when you look at the current value of the global renewable energy market, which is $880 billion around that, it's projected to more than double to just under $2 trillion by the year 2030. So all of this unprecedented growth that we've seen in the last 10, 15 years is set to more than double. So for me, that's an incredibly encouraging fact and something that we can all look forward to. So that was Cameron. And finally, Molly's Tell Me Something I Don't Know. If food loss and waste were a country, it would be the third biggest source of greenhouse emissions on the planet. So there we are. Those, I mean, I'm so glad we got hold of Cameron and uh, uh, Molly again because they were, along with yours, Emily, truly fantastic. Uh, tell me something I don't knows. Uh, thank you, Emily, uh, for for being here and for being part of this. I feel really energised by by the conversation we've had in the last uh, 
last 20 minutes, half an hour or so. Uh, That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If you want to delve deeper into this topic, there's plenty more on the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research, including, of course, the Real Estate and the Carbon Challenge report, which Emily uh, is the lead researcher on. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.